Hello and welcome. I am your host, the best podcast host in the universe, Steve Cully. And with me today, a legend, a very special guest, Coach Mr. Tom Wells. Mr. Wells, thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast. You're welcome, my friend. It it has been it has been quite quite a journey, quite a journey, and um, you know I usually do a little preparation before I interview my guests, and I realized that I did not know a lot about your history around here. Now, did you go to New Hartford High School? Are you a New Hartford grad? Yes, I am. I uh, arrived in New Hartford uh, in about 1953. Lived on Valley View Road. Uh, started as a third grader in New Hartford and went all the way through uh, before I left the college and have stayed around here for basically my whole life other than the four years at Springfield College. What uh, did you play sports? Because I know uh, you were an athlete. What, what sports did you play? I played football, basketball, and baseball. That's what everybody did in those days. Yeah. In the 60s. You're, 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 da- you're dating yourself. You don't, have to say, you don't have to say the 60s. You can say the 80s. It's okay. We lie on the podcast all the time. Um, football, baseball, and basketball. Right. What would you say your best sport was wow well okay so my achievements probably were equal in high school and uh, upon going to Springfield College in, in uh, the fall semester that year um, everybody well not everybody most of my friends went out for football so uh, the real goal at the time the real goal was I was going to make the basketball team well, I got hurt. I had a slight tear in my knee, uh, middle of the fall season, my freshman year. So um, I couldn't play football after, let's say, uh, middle of October. Rehabbed a little bit, which was very archaic back in the day. And uh, well, there were so little known about it. Yeah. Rehab. Yes, right? for sure. It was maybe go sit in a whirlpool and anyway. It was there were no hard. trainers, nothing oh, like no, that. No. Well, you had we had a PT room, but it was in the dark ages. So anyway, to get to my point here, uh, so part of my rehab was down a weight room, and there was a New Hartford guy who um, moved from New Hartford High School to Springfield. I idolized the man, so I spent a lot of time in the weight room, which was football. So basketball was totally gone. So I spent the next three years playing football at Springfield. So you asked me my my best sport was I played football only in college. So did did Springfield actually recruit you? Uh, No, no. In, In those days, unless you were a real blue chipper, you weren't recruited. They took whoever walked in the door. And uh, that that's how the team full. I'm sure there were guys on the varsity my my three years there that you know were contacted by their coaches, but uh, not me. Um, and what position did you play? Wide receiver. You were a wide receiver. Well, your your height, your athleticism. You probably ran pretty well. Um, did they throw the ball a lot back then, or not? We didn't throw. Listen, we're going back to the dark ages here. The dark. Uh, 
in my sophomore and junior years, um, you played both ways. Exactly, correct. And a quarterback was uh, throw the ball on third down if you had to. It was three yards and a cloud of dust. And then over the summer between my junior and senior years, uh, a new coach arrived. And immediately upon reporting to training camp in 1st of September, you were either put on offense or defense. And I played wide receiver, and we had a quarterback to throw, and I was a wide receiver. And um, to be very candid with you, I played because now I, I could catch the ball, but I could block. Yeah. I could block downfield. I weighed 215 pounds. It and was you're playing huge against, back then. Playing against defensive backs that played 175, I was just frothing at the mouth playing yeah. against those guys. So that, that was that was a good thing. Um. Did you play all four years? Were you on varsity? Did you letter? I played in those days. You were on the freshman football team. That's right. Go back. But I was on the varsity for all three years. I didn't play much my sophomore year. Played a little bit more my junior year. But uh, senior year, played a lot. And for what it's worth, we went 9-0. and zero. One of the better experiences of my whole life uh, to play on a team like that. We're... Of that team of 55 guys, I think 45 of us are still alive, and I still am connected with many of them. Yeah. But that, that helped shape me. Yeah. No, it does. It does. And it, it's surprising because football was the sport you played in college and probably right. your best sport. Right. You didn't have as much experience in, in the future coaching in football. But at Springfield, did you major in physical education or kinesiology or physical education? Yeah, that goes back to my high school years in New Hartford, where there were three or four guys there. Most of which came from Springfield College, but I idolized them. Those guys were on a pedestal as far as I was concerned, including one of them, your good friend of mine, Coach Edick. Correct. Uh, but I wanted to be like them, and for what it's worth, when I left Springfield College. I was going to be the next Bear Bryant. There was no doubt in my mind that that's exactly where I was headed and what I wanted to do. But uh, so you wanted to—I mean, you wanted to coach. Oh, from the from the time yes. I was 15 years old, I, yeah. I wanted to coach. And the way it worked in those days, you're the phys ed teachers, wherever uh, you were expected to coach, that was part of your hiring process. So, like I said, football was what I was going to do. And I, I coached football, well, okay, so coming back, I was at Whitesboro for, for four years, our, our friendly rival down the road. Uh, very friendly, correct. Very friendly, but um, a rivalry, as you would put it. So um, that shaped me uh, for four years before I came back to New Hartford to teach. Okay. Um, when you finished at Springfield, did you come directly back to New Hartford? That was the first job that you had? My first job was four years at Whitesboro. You for four years at Whitesboro. And uh, by my third year there, I'm an assistant coach on a varsity. Um, some for great, football? For football. Uh, well, to, to get to where I know we're headed with this, um, in January of my first year, at Whitesboro, the athletic director calls me and asks me what I knew about track and field. <laughs> and I said, well, two of my best friends in high school were track guys, and I took the basic skills class at Springfield. He said, okay, uh, you're the varsity track coach. 
Wow. 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 So that was the 1967. I'm the varsity track coach at Whitesboro, and lo and behold, you know, I coached that until uh, about a year ago. And it's amazing the way I look at it. If you're if you're a coach, and if it's in you, I mean, I believe coaching is a calling. They can take you, and they can put you in any sport. They could say you're going to coach girls volleyball. If you're a, a coach, you're going to coach. You're going to be able to figure it out. You're going to be able to coach whatever you need to do to have success. You will find a way to connect with the players and win. I'll go back to several of the classes that, that uh, we all took at Springfield. Uh, badminton, uh, volleyball, uh, gymnastics. I mean, you name it. We played it somewhere along the line. And the professors would always tell us, you don't know where you're going to end up. And you're going to thank God when you, you know, get in such a position that you have learned the basic skills. But I'll go back to your point. Um, it's about relationships. It's about connecting and then rolling up your sleeves. And you've got a bunch of athletes, whatever age in front of you, uh, you learn and you connect with people, uh, other coaches you respect. And then when you've got any kind of athlete in front of you, you want to know what you need to know to get them better rather than just rolling the ball out and saying, go get them. No, no. Technically you want to know what you have to do to make them better. And, uh, like I said, kind of backwards, I became the track coach. And I inherited at Whitesboro that first year, I had some great athletes who listened to me. And, you know, I mean, what am I, five years older than them? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we figured it out, and there you go. What made you want to transition or look to come to New Hartford? What led to that? Well, okay, I, I, retirements and trickle down on the line uh, and I got a call from the athletic director who was my high school coach saying hey listen we have a position here open and I jumped at it uh, the, the conditions were that there was no football involved but I was to be the cross-country coach wow. and the track coach so I took a day to think about it well I knew, I knew when I walked out of the interview that I was going to take the job, but I had to let that settle in that I was no longer going to be the football coach. Was that ta Taylor? That's Taylor. That, yes. That's right. Yep. And um, I wanted I wanted bad to get back to New Hartford. Uh, it wasn't that Whitesboro was anything negative. It was just no. that I was going back to home base. And to go back to my earlier comments about there were three or four guys that were phys ed teachers and coaches in New Hartford. This kind of fulfilled my dream. Oh, I'm getting closer to being just like them. And um, so I would go and kind of hang around football practice for a little bit, but um, I was basically told, hey, you're, you're not coaching football. You, you've got some other duties. So anyway, uh, that, 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 that was the way I went for... Oh my God, 20 years uh, being the cross country and, and track coach. Do you think things would have been different had you been allowed to coach football? Do you think now oh. you would have been a legendary football oh. coach and you would have stuck with that for 40 years? Well, yes and no. And you guys know Coach Edick. Um, very respectfully, he was a very strong, dynamic person. 
uh, I would have been at best a first or second lieutenant with him. <laughs> yeah, and um, in football, the way I played it, the way I coached it in Whitesboro, and the way I watched those teams from afar, um, there was an intense amount of preparation, and you got to win. And along the way, Coach Edick uh, got everybody through a few years, through some tough years, and he won. And um, I don't think I would have lasted as long coaching had I been a football coach. Yeah. Because the stress. The it would have burnt you out. By the time you get to be 50 years old, uh, in any town, including yeah. New Hartford, if you go on a couple losing seasons, uh, people start wanting, oh, have you lost your touch? Or, you know, what's gone wrong? And all those type of things. And I listened to everybody in New Hartford from afar, so to speak. But um, no way would I have ever lasted as long as I did uh, coaching football. And, you know, and then sooner or later, uh, Coach Edick became the athletic director. And... Uh, I was never approached and never wanted to be approached, but I was very comfortable being the track and cross-country coach until the mid-'80s when then the swimming committed to play. So you never ended up coaching football at New Hartford? That's correct. Okay. Never. We did yep. we did track and we did right. cross-country. Right. Um, the biggest things that I took away from your coaching style and, and playing for you you always knew how to put your players in the best positions to succeed. You always knew what events fit them best. You always knew what their styles were. You always knew where they would mesh the best. And that's very, very difficult to do. I mean, I couldn't imagine, especially having no experience in track and field or cross country, how did you go about evaluating your talent and making sure you were putting them in the best position to succeed to help the team win? I think a lot of times in sports, uh, to be honest, it's trial and error. Right. I mean, I'll use the analogy of a basketball team. I mean, if you got a, a, a boy that's six foot five, you're not going to put him out of point guard or. You know, you, you've got to fit the right pieces. And usually, from my experience in New Hartford, uh, go back to my early days and through the 80s and the 90s, um, boys and girls at that age, they will do whatever. They'll try something. In track, I would say, all right, let's try the triple jump or, or let's try pole vaulting. Or in your case, let's try the shot and discus. Well, certainly you were not going to run the sprints unless you had to, but... You, you, you find ways to experiment. Some Many times they failed. But um, when you train people and you get a little bit of expertise in you, and of course I had some very good assistant coaches that would take and do the work. Um, and, and I will leave you with this one. Once you have an athlete at any level, any sport, any skill that's successful, you got them hooked. Right. And in those days, there was no indoor track, but I would make my way over to the high school when I wasn't teaching there, and you'd find kids in the weight room or 
Uh, they want to know things they could do in the offseason, and then you knew for sure that that athlete was hooked. Now, and again, early in those years, you kind of played two or three sports. That's how it was, correct. That's just how it was, and and you you were one of those. I'll go back to your legendary basketball career. No legendary. <laughs> Foul, fouled out in the shortest fouled amount of time. Fouled out in the first half. Buddy right? Evans. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> But anyway, it was it, to this day, it's always exciting watching an athlete, whatever level, um, kind of find their calling, find the things that they can do, whether it's a, 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 a spiker in, in volleyball or they can bowl or whatever it may be. And this goes back to my phys ed training back at Springfield where you just didn't know where you're going to end up. And I can remember calling a, a track coach at Springfield College that winter of 67. And he says to me, you know, coach, he called me coach, that was very complimentary. You know, we told you guys you never knew where you were going to end up. And he said, I remember the day trying to teach you how to pole vault at 215 <laughs> pounds, which was a complete disaster. But you understood the mechanics of everything. And when then finally you have some talented athletes to, to, to bite and and practice some of the things that you were spewing out as a coach, then you're gone. And, and, and to be very candid with you, I never tried to hoodwink athletes saying, oh, I could do this and I could do that. Uh, that is the worst thing in the world. And I'll it go is. back to my swimming coaching. I was one of the worst swimmers in the world. I did enough to pass the life-saving test so I could officially coach. But to sit there and tell a young lady, hey, I, I've got some experience doing this. It would have absolutely the worst thing in the world. And I carried that, you know, through my phys ed career. You know, you, as you get older, you just don't demonstrate anymore. You find ways to teach and coach. At the beginning, you would demonstrate a lot of things. You had to. You're yeah. On the football field, uh, hitting a golf ball, hitting a baseball, you would demonstrate. But then as you get older realize, hey, wait a minute, you know, some of these kids are a heck of a lot better than I am and do whatever. So let's back off and find a verbal way to uh, to coach. Wow, wow. Um, so going into the 80s, now, had you um, experienced some success in track and field and cross country before you were put into swimming or or – was it a struggle um, Okay, so the track and, and, and cross country kind of went hand in hand. Um, hey, look, at, we're going back to the days of the Central United League, where it was, you know, Rome, Whitesboro, Proctor, Notre Dame, yeah, UFA. And there is no other, I, I'm convinced, there is no other league in New York State as competitive as what we went through. And if you didn't train the kids, you didn't get them game ready, uh, it, it, was, it was a long season. So to, to your point, um, I would say almost immediately I had success uh, on a cross-country level and, and track. Now success meant if you went, we would have five meets in cross-country, five meets in track. And if you won two or three of those uh, against the likes of Rome, and Whitesboro and Procter and UFA, I mean, you had a pretty darn good team. Well, the numbers as well back then, like the numbers for Rome, 
compared to New Hartford. What would you say the size difference was? At the height of New Hartford's enrollment, we were slightly over a thousand students in the high school. And Rome was a thriving community up there, probably had well over 2,000. Oh, wow. And um, UFA and Proctor probably had, I would say, probably 1,500 students. So we were the small guy on the block. Well, for Notre Dame was a little different situation. But again, our, our, our league our league was so competitive. And the coaches, we all knew each other. Uh, we were friends away from the field. But we, on the field, it was dog eat dog. And so <laughs> I did have some success. And pretty soon you start thinking, wait a minute here. I, I can really do this as a track and field coach. Wow, I could do this. And then, then the, the, the situation became where, all right, let's go pre-lacrosse now. Yeah, correct. Th- th- that has changed the dynamics here in central New York Huge. dramatically. And then back in the day, there was, in the spring, there was tennis, golf, baseball, and track. That was it. And I would have a track team of maybe 40 guys, and most of those guys could run, jump, and throw. They were, they were good. Well, yes, we had some leftovers from, from baseball, but your choices were limited. And to go back to an earlier comment of everybody played two or three sports, there was a direct pipeline from football players, especially wanting to get in good shape for, uh, for track. So that all worked. And um, like I said, um, I would say maybe seven, eight years into my track and coaching, I started believing, hey, I could, I can do this. And the athletes responded, and, and that was, you know, that was the beginning. And that was true all the way up until the mid-80s when the superintendent called me in. They had gone through three or four girls' swim coaches and he announced to me that he really wasn't going to give me a choice that I was to be the girls' swim coach. I was getting a little bored coaching cross-country in the fall, so I took a day to think about it, and, and I did, and immediately I had a team that won a lot of meets in the very first year in the fall of 1986. We almost won the sectional title. The first right. So that was an even bigger challenge, uh, making the transition to a girls' sport, girls, their, their, their mindset was a lot different in a, in a good way. And um, at the same time, my son at about, I'm trying to think here, he was about 12 years old at the time. He was moving up the ranks nationally in swimming. So I was around a lot of great swimming coaches. So I could kind of pick their brain from time to time. As opposed to just yelling and hollering and just say, go, go, you know, that, that wouldn't work for a long term. So that's how I got involved in swimming in 1986. And lo and behold, you know, for whatever, 36 years, I was the girls' swim coach. And is that a big reason why you got your son involved in swimming as well? No, or did it was, that it was the other way around. It was the other way around. Uh, he started swimming when he was eight years old. And by the time he was nine... He was competing at national level. Oh, wow. He was competing at a national level. 
the first big meet we went to would be uh, in, oh my God, it would probably been in Philadelphia. Here he is, nine years old, competing against the best kids on the East Coast. By the time he was 13 years old, he was competing against the best kids in the country. Meets in Florida, and we went to Toronto, Boston, and all that. So J Jim had about four or five years of swimming under his belt before I became the New Hartford coach. So I had a lot of people to um, pick their brain as to how to do this and how to do that. Um, some of the same principles of coaching in terms of energy and training and that type of thing were similar, but it ultimately involved the technique and being able to, to watch people swim. Because again, swimming, everything that matters is underwater. So you've got to figure out a way in those days without video cameras and all that type of thing, you've got to figure out ways to figure out what, what they need to do to get better. Yeah. And um, I, I'm sure that's what the superintendent had in mind when he called me in because, oh, well, Jim Wells was a great swimmer, so something must have rubbed off. Well, a little bit did, but the, 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 the charm of that whole episode was uh, Jim's coach here, <clears throat> coaches here, then he went to prep school by the time he was 15. And <clears throat> at that point in time, I was in the presence of some national caliber coaches. And whenever yeah. we would go somewhere, I had permission to be on deck and all that. And, oh, God, the, the stuff that I, I'm thinking, boy, what little I knew back in 1986, um, now I could figure out how to do things and become more organized and does he still hold any records to this day? <clears throat> Does he hold records? He's still got, I think it's four or five New Hartford School records that were all established back around 1988, 89. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, he um, he was good. Uh, in fact, um, with a little bit different twist of fate, he probably would have made the 1996 Olympic team. Right. I uh, came very close. We went to Olympic trials both in '92 and '96, and I saw, you know, like I say, the best, the best in the country. It is so difficult to make our Olympic team. Yeah, I can't even we, imagine. We, we've just got a whole treasure chest of athletes here in the United States, compared to countries like Australia and Great Britain and Italy and and all that. So you know, he he ended up going uh, full scholarship to the University of Southern California. Met some great people there. Um, that was the only downside there was 3,000 miles away right, from California. There to see him. But I got to see him often enough in all the NCAA meets and a couple meets a year. And then, um, same thing, uh, your daughter Stacy getting involved in swimming. Was that because watching her, her brother, was that because of you? Or would you say, again, organically it just happened? I would say... Yeah, see, back back when she was a baby, back when she was an infant, two, three, four years old, uh, especially in the summertime, we were around pools. And we had to make her safe in the water because we never knew. I mean, there were places we would go in the summertime down in the Albany area or, or Plattsburgh or Rochester, Syracuse, where we were outside. And uh, so by necessity. But t to your point, 
Um, they were seven years apart in age. So Stacy Wells wanted to do everything that Jim Wells ever did. Right. That was her Yes, me being a coach, that sure helped. Uh, when I took over the swim team, um, Stacy was three years old. So she, she kind of grew up around the team. And when she was like 10 and 12 years old, you know, just to go and be with daddy and watch the swim practice was, I'm sure, precious for her. And she started officially swimming when she became five years old. So she wanted to emulate him and do all the things that he ever did. She came very, very close. Uh, was a state champion here in New Hartford her Correct. senior year. So she carved her own niche, uh, which was very gratifying. Um, now, did you ever have aspirations of moving up and like being like an athletic director, being in, in administration, or a pre- you're you're laughing at me? I'm laughing. Or a principal. Uh, there, I mean, there, there I can't was... see you. I can't see you fitting in that environment. Oh, God. But I, with your experience, I could see that being like the natural transition. Yeah. Uh, there was a time. I'm trying to think when this was. This was maybe. Oh, God, this was maybe the early to mid-80s when I did interview for the athletic director's position. And as the interview was winding down, the caveat was that I had to give up coaching. Because that, they did that with Edic as well. Yes, exactly. And th- that interview came to a screeching halt. And uh, as a result of that, I continued coaching. And uh, my good friend Don Alberico became the athletic director. That's right. And uh, he apparently didn't miss coaching. He, he, that was his niche, being the AD. And he and I were, were great friends. We still are to this day, and we solved a lot of problems together. And Let me know. ask you this, um, because it, it seems to be worse now, or it seems to get more attention now. But, like, even when you were first starting out at Whitesboro and then transitioning to New Hartford throughout the years, did you have problems with the parents? Were the parents always kind of, you know, my kid should be doing this, my kid should be doing that, why isn't she in in this event, or why isn't she getting put in that event? Um, Let me work in reverse order here. Um... 99 plus percent of the parents that I ever had to work with in track and swimming were great parents, very supportive. One unique thing about those individual sports is the stopwatch and the tape measure and the automatic timing take care of everything involving playing time and who should be doing this. The numbers, who be correct. Doing that, right. Right. Yeah, that's true. So there's no argument. There's, there's no argument. Uh, in the team sports, it's a whole new ball game. But I sensed in New Hartford, I would say by the 90s, then parents did become more involved and wanted the whys and the wherefores. Is, you know, why is my son or daughter in a team sport not playing enough? Or why was she taken out? Or that type of thing. And, you know, if it's done in a good way, without pressuring the coach, um, it probably is a good thing, but the bottom line becomes what I saw happening from the time I started coaching till the very end was more and more 
not just in New Hartford, but everywhere, everywhere, small towns, big towns, it didn't matter, um, addressing playing time. And a couple of my very good friends in a couple of local school districts would go have an undefeated football team. And they would get chastised by a few parents because their son didn't play enough. Yeah. And that, and I'll briefly talk about today's world of, of collegiate athletics. Oh, it's why, a why do, why do people transfer? The transfer it's about playing portal. time. Yep, now, throw in the NIL is a different ball game, but yeah. it's about playing time. And, and I would always tell parents, whatever sport, you got to find the right fit for your son and daughter. If it's a team sport, uh, everybody isn't going to play. you got 15 people on a basketball team. There's going to be five at the, on a court at one time. Uh, if, if it's an ice hockey program or it's a football program or a soccer program, everybody's recruited. We love your son. We love your daughter. And everybody's good. And then the hard work starts. And you know from your playing career in college, I mean, you've got to work your butt off, whether it's Division Three today or Division One. And our goal at New Hartford was not only to win, but it was to get the kids better. How do you get a 13 or 14 year old to get better. Well, you got to be with the coach. You got to be involved in a weight program. You got to be involved in sports off season, travel ball, AAU, all those type of things to, to get yourself ready. And then as soon as your son or daughter has a little success in those sports, then they want even more when it comes back to the high school team. So to, to my original point here, um, the parents that I worked with all those years, they were great. So over, overall, you would say throughout your entire career, you didn't have problems with the parents. Maybe a handful. I would say a handful in yeah. that's the 50 that's some years. That's, I consider myself very blessed. And, and one of the things that I think I would credit all that to is uh, whenever you had a problem with an athlete, whether it was missing practice or an injury or maybe playing time or in my situation, putting somebody on a relay team that had big thoughts statewide or whatever, try to explain beyond the athlete to mom and dad, be proactive, okay? And there were some tough decisions. I remember when I moved, (laughs) excuse me, when I moved to my first house in Woodbury, a young boy who I had made the fifth guy on a 4x400 relay team to go to the state meet, he turned out to be my next-door neighbor. <laughs> and I had to go. I did go. I was I was proactive, and I went next door, and, you know, in uh, about a year and a half, we patched everything up. He understood. He knew what the deal was. And finally, he said to me, he says, Coach, you made the right decision. Wow. So... Like I say, now and then you have to have a tough conversation. And in today's world, the, the, the biggest difference is to try to be, try to explain to parents when things are good. Right. Where your son or, or daughter is going to play. And, and I'll, to, to your situation when you play football. I mean, you, you can't have a 120-pound uh, boy playing uh, tight end. Uh, it just isn't going to work. You've got to put on... And I don't know of a coach in New Hartford that would put a second-rate 
team, second-rate player on the field or on the court. They all wanted to win because I'll go back to our days of the Central Night League where when we're getting ready to play Proctor or Rome or whoever, uh, I mean, we would stay up extra long at night thinking about what do I have to do to win? And uh, those battles made us all practice better. And I would hope that the relationship we had with the parents was a positive one and understanding that we're trying to win. Right, right. And I wanted to ask this because it it always impressed me. Um, Matt Troja was was a good friend of mine. And Matt used to tell me that before, um, whether it was the girls' swim meets or before track meets, you knew in your head whether we were going to win or not because you would do the point totals. You would go through the events. You would go through the times. You would go through the numbers and add up the points and see where we were at, if we were going to win, if we were going to lose, and then try to find where we needed to get those extra points. How were we going to get them? What changes were we going to make to get those extra points to have a chance to win? How were you able to compute that in your head before meets and know ahead of time which direction we were leaning? Well, I'll go back to my days of coaching football where we would spend a fair amount of time looking at film and trying to analyze opponents. And from the moment I took over, because technically... Well, technically, in track and swimming 20 years later, uh, I, I didn't have... It's a numbers sport, okay? When, you, when, you, when you're getting ready to play Roman football, uh, any coach that's worth his weight should know exactly what has happened in previous games. You scouted them, either in person or on film. Well, I had a network of coaches or... In those days, there were box scores in a paper or some friend that was coaching that you might, you know, have some information. And yes, um, I think the byproduct of all that might have been, and I never never heard that story from Matt Troja, but if that's the impression that the athletes get, that you know the opponent pretty well. Right, right. Then it behooves them mentally and physically to get themselves prepared. And if that's the impression that they got, I always felt that they would give that little bit extra, uh, whatever it may be. And I treated the losses, and I'll, my sarcastic comment is, you know, I still remember some of the losses back in the day in a track meet, or losses in a swim meet. And I took them hard. Maybe overnight. And that's the way the track team felt, I think. And that's the way our girls swimmer felt. And I'll go back to my first year swimming. <clears throat> we'd won like 11 meets in a row. And at the end of October, we go up to Watertown. They're undefeated and we're undefeated. And we lost the meet. Those girls were so upset as we get on the bus. They, they were just beside themselves. And I thought to myself, what have I done to these girls that are crying and they're upset and everything else over a swim meet? So something must have rubbed off <clears throat> on them. 
Um, and but again, if you prepare as best you can, especially for dual meets, then that that's about all you can do. The rest is up to the kids going and doing their thing and and coming back. And you know, hopefully, you know they've they've given it their best effort. And and if now and then I would make a mistake and say, hey, I put somebody in the hurdles, I should have put them in a two hundred right. or whatever. I would always fess up. Hey, I made a mistake. I put somebody in the wrong race in 2020 hindsight, and that was made me feel better. Whether it made the kids feel better or not is maybe a whole other story. Um, my next question is longevity, because especially now you look at the college level and even the high school level with coaches, there isn't a lot of patience. There isn't a lot of understanding. You see guys that last a year, two years. Some coaches get fired during the year. What do you think was the reason for your success in longevity? You know, with different administrators, with different principals. You know, not having as many problems off the off the field or off the court. What do you think? What led to your longevity? Because nowadays. People get fired after six well, months. Well, what I alluded to was football, going back to having to cross, cross that off my list of, of coaching. Had I been a football coach, I've told this to several people here, had I been a, a football coach, head coach, or assistant coach at New Hartford, I'm sure I would not have lasted more than into my 50th birthday. Right. Uh, today's world, a football coach, a basketball coach, a hockey coach, a soccer coach, you're basically with those kids or you're involved in the sport of somehow 10, 11, 12 months a year. And when you put that amount of time in, then you're expected to win. Now, I happen to be in two sports, track and swimming, for most of my career here, where I was blessed. I was blessed with great athletes. I mean, you look up and down the line in track and field. You name the event, excuse me, and I can name a handful of of guys that, you know, stepped up, were sectional champions and almost state champions. I look back to swimming, so blessed. I mean, just because you have a good coaching technique, just because you have the, the, um, administration's backing just because you have the equipment needed, that doesn't mean you're going to win. Not at all. Not at all. So to to fast forward to today's world of the money that's thrown around. Billions. Yep. um, Whether it's athletic directors or boards of trustees or whoever, some influential people in in your college community, um, unfortunately you got to win. And that's a sad commentary um, rarely does a football coach or a basketball coach stay at the same place for 20, 30 years. Now, I, I outlasted everything, and I ended up coaching in New Hartford for 50, what, 53, 54 years. And to your point, I, was, I, had, I had some great administrators. I mentioned Don Alvarico earlier. He and I, you know, I mean, now and then, you know, we would mess up something and you know, we would work through it and, and get it done. 
and we just had a bond, and he was, he was a great guy to work for. And he was there for a long time, but then after him, you got Alvanos, and then after him, you got a smorgasbord yes. of different people coming in here That's and correct. there, yeah. nobody really staying long. That's really tough to, to, to navigate. Well, I always felt that when a new administrator took over, and in my world, superintendent's office, high school, junior high principals, athletic directors, I always felt that they didn't really care what I may have done 20 years earlier. That I had to go in and do my own thing. And that's the way I did business for sure after I retired from teaching in 2002. Because I, I said to two or three administrators, hey, you know, I would be asked sarcastically, well, why are you still doing this? Why? I thought, first off, you get a charge out of winning. You get a charge out of seeing young boys and girls develop. But if I'm coaching in 2000 and I'm thinking back, well, I can just kind of roll the ball out and do what I, you know, chose to do the same way I did it in the 70s, 80s, they don't care about that. And I would say most of the guys that I worked with were that way, and that was that was okay. And I got to credit one person here, Jackie Tompkins. Jackie Tompkins was our women's administrator, girls' administrator, and she took me aside and encouraged me from the beginning to be the girls' swim coach. And uh, eventually, she, with her blessing, she says, "No, Tom, you got to do it your way," which was my way. And, uh, and and all that worked, but but again, to the point of, of, of longevity, uh, knock on wood. You know, my health is good. Uh, I get my checkup every six months. And you and to be honest, you look amazing. Uh, you, you 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 are ageless. You are an ageless wonder. I I have to credit my genes. I have to credit my lifestyle. I was a phys ed teacher for thirty seven years. So if I want to play wiffle ball with the kids or I want to sit in a chair and watch them or country lion dancing or whatever it may be. I can't even remember what level were, were you at because weren't you with the young kids for a while? or and in, then In my career at New Hartford, I would say of those... Or the middle school, <clears throat> you were Mr. Middle school, Mr. Pro, you were... This is probably when you and I first met. Yeah. Uh, high school, I, I part of me chose not to be in a high school when my daughter was there. Correct. I didn't want her, you know, thinking I'm looking over her shoulder. But during my career, I spent time in every building New Hartford had. I'll go back to the Point School. I'll go back to, to Clinton Road, now Miles, Higby Road, now Hughes. I was in a mall. I had a ball in all of them. Uh, yes, I probably spent more time in the high school than anywhere else. Um, but again, as your role as a phys ed teacher... Um, again, it was a people business and the longevity, and I was always blessed with having a, a great teaching experience. One thing I have to be reminded about constantly, not constantly, but I, you're, you're a phys ed teacher first, which was your, quote, eight to five job, eight to three job. But the fruits of that were that you planted, made relationships with with students that wanted to be, and I always felt like, Hey, I had I had a couple three guys that were on pedestals when I was in middle school and high school, and if I could be somewhere like them, and attract people out, and I know in my heyday that there were kids coming out for boys track and girls swimming that because of the relationships I had from the phys ed field. 
Um, I always wanted to know this. Was it challenging or how hard was it to coach your kids? Because, you know, some say there's favoritism. <clears throat> some say, you know, they're too hard on their kids or they're not hard enough. How did you manage coaching your kids and was it difficult for you? I officially only was my son's coach for one summer. For one summer. <clears throat> but that was... <clears throat> but that was simple. When Stacy came along, um, I was not officially her coach until she became seventh grade. And because because her her um, her class oh, they had they they had loaded. stars they had a bunch of studs in that class. And in the seasons, the girls' swim seasons of '96 and '97 and '98. Probably the best group of athletes I ever had. I think one year I took 10 or 11 girls to the state meet. And Stacy was the state champion. And Madeline Gaines was another one state champion the same year. Um, I probably had 45 girls try out for those teams. And we could only keep about 30. And some of the talent that I sent back to the modified team were, quote, cut. Um, they would have been... Very good swimmers a few years later. But to, to, to your question about Stacy, um, I learned very early on a, a bad lesson. I mean, one night at the dinner table when she was a sophomore, I said something negative about her practice. And as soon as I said that, I said, Tom Wells, you schmuck, leave it alone. Forget about it. Uh, I, it was the wrong move. I apologized. And we made it through six years of me being her coach. Um, she knew what she wanted to do, and the way we left it there was that if she wanted something done, she wanted to ask me then over the dinner table or whatever. Right. But per se, during practice, that was not the time for me to say, hey, your head's too high or your elbow this. No, that was, uh, I never, I never wanted it to be speculated out there that all coaches spending more time with his daughter than with anybody else. Uh, thank good she was very good at her craft, so I didn't have to worry about that part. But had she been on, as I alluded earlier, had she been on a team sport, a basketball team or a soccer team, then I'm sure, because I'm well aware in New Hartford of a handful of very, very good athletes that were sons and daughters of coaches, and there was always questioning. There was always yeah. a suspicion why are they this and why are they that? And fortunately, almost all of them turned out to be like two or three year starters on varsity teams here in New Hartford. So that that made it that made it very easy uh, for those coaches. But for my own, I, I I never had to worry about that. And you know, I I always wanted to know if you added everything up. You are by far, and it's probably not even close, the most winningest coach in New Hartford history as far as overall wins and as far as uh, TVL or Section 3 champions. And you probably had the most state champions. Would, would that be accurate? I mean, do you well, know off the top of your head the number? I think, I think my one-loss record... Somewhere around 850 in New Hartford. And I never kept track of the ones at Whitesboro. I had probably a couple dozen there. 
but if you add up all the wins in swimming and track, I think it's somewhere in the 850 mark. Um, <clears throat> championships. Cha uh, no, championships. I think the count is 14 girls swimming and sectional championships. We didn't have a league at the time. Uh, track. I think I had seven or eight Section 3 team championships and maybe I never won a Central United League. Uh, I think probably the same number, seven or eight Tri-Valley League championships. Um, the only state champions in any sport I ever had were, were Stacy Wells and Madeline Gaines. Came close with a lot of others. Uh, and track, yep. close. Never... Never had a state champion. Well, I was third. I mean, that's got to count for something. I was third. I mean, I, the, 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 the guy that beat me looked like he was 32, so that that's not fair. <laughs> Listen, Stephen, with all respect, you had two years on my varsity track. I did. I did, and I ate more sandwiches and, and, than anyone. And, and keep in mind, and maybe we can figure this out down the road here, you were, in many ways, you were a four-sport athlete in high school. Stop and think about it. If you're going to put eating on there, then yeah. No, 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 no. You played football. I did. You played basketball. Well, You played. were on a baseball team in New Hartford at I one did point play in time. Yes, and you were correct. on a track team. Yes. So how many athletes coming through New Hartford can say they were on four high school sports? That is very true. All right. That is very true. So, yes, you, you were, you were the champion. I, I have to throw this in whether you want to edit this out or not. I remember you coming to me your senior year and saying, Coach, I, I don't need to do this stretching, which we would do before every practice in the end zone, facing your Correct. grandmother's house. Correct. And you came to me and said, Coach, what, what do I need to do this for? I'm throwing a shot, putting the discus. Very anti-stress. So uh, we worked out a deal that you would go over to your grandmother's house and get some food in your belly. As long as every once in a while you brought me back a sandwich from Grandma and everything would be forgotten. God bless my sitter. Yep, she and made the best. every once in a while, uh, somebody on the team would say, hey, how about Steve Cully? I says, no, no, he, he needs his food. <laughs> yes, that's and, what it is. And that makes him a better thrower, and uh, we leave it at that. So, Well, I remember the story to, to this day that you tell, um, if you recall, Syracuse, David Walker, the recruiter, the coach, came to see me during track practice. He walked down to the track. You were there. I was not there. I was at my grandma's eating a sandwich. <laughs> and he came to talk to you. He's like, I'm, I'm here to see Steve Cully. And you're looking around. And you're like, the coach from Syracuse is here. Where the hell is he? And I was at, I was at my grandma's eating a sandwich when <laughs> David Walker came yeah. to recruit me. During track practice. How about that? I mean, you don't get anything better than that. No, no, no. Well, listen, thank God Grandma lived right across the street. It, 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 thank and, God. and that was very fortunate. Uh, but again, look at um, Unfortunately for you, you were not the school record holder. And there were some very legendary throwers. Pete DiStefano, yes. Jimmy DiStefano. Jim. Jimmy, right. Um, a great. Jimmy, Jimmy was probably... He was like 58, I think he threw, or 60. Uh, I mean, 60 feet and change. It, yeah, that's and what it the was. The discus was about 178. Yeah. Um, again, and I'm going to defend you to some regard here. Was he the one that went to Cornell? Cornell yeah. and almost made the Cincinnati Bengals his first year out. Correct. 
Jimmy grew up, his father was the legendary Pete Stefano from Utica Free Academy. Jimmy had the benefit of having three brothers, all were athletes, and weight training and extra time in the shot and disc circle started from the time he was probably nine or ten years old. And he, he was tall, right? Wasn't he six, G- six, Jimmy, six, seven? No, no. Jimmy was no. about six, two, six, oh, he was. three. Um, but again, he had not only the physical strength from all the weight training but, sessions with his dad, but he had the fundamentals of shot put a discus. From early on. I had to give you a crash course. Right. Help me out. Was your weight coach? No. Nani Pensero? Um, the, yeah, the he was culture. there. Mr. Pensero was, was there. Yes. He would, yeah. Anyway, we had to give you a crash course. We had Mr. Abdu. Mr. Abdu yeah. came we, and we, helped me. Norm, well, Norm Deep yeah. came and helped me. Right. We, we, we tried to get everyone right. involved. But, but had you started earlier, I'm yeah. going to blow a little smoke at you. Had you started with that and forget, for, forgiven your, your baseball career early on, who knows? So we'll leave that for your yeah. dream. And yeah. I was, I was, I, I, I think I hit fifty three was my best. Yeah. Um. You know, I maybe I could have. Well, what you got annoyed at was a, a guy that weighed one hundred ninety five pounds beating you. Of course. And you couldn't understand that. Yes. And at the time, you didn't want to hear the idea that you know he trained at that sport longer than you did. You correct. Had. And uh, <laughs> doing the spin anyway, and all that. Those stuff. those were fun times. <laughs> let, let me ask you this because I want your opinion. Because everything's changed now. Do you think that kids should be playing multiple sports? Or do you think the way things are going, where they're laser focused on this one sport, that's what they put all their time and effort into to try to get recruited, to try to get a scholarship? Or do you think playing multiple sports is more beneficial? I'll give you the story of three or four of my grandchildren. They all play two, three, four, or five sports by the time they're 15 years old. <clears throat> my opinion and my view of New Hartford, which I know inside and out, we've got every sport possible. We've got golf, yes. yep. tennis, lacrosse, soccer, swimming, basketball. And now you play football seven-on-seven seven all summer long. To your point, I... My two kids now got sons and daughters, and the deal is that part of this is the social attraction for one sport to another. If you've got good experience with your peers, you have a bunch of guys that gravitate and and like playing another sport. The idea, though, that that you are learning different skills in another sport, different mindset. And the way I always felt, especially with swimming, because we are always accused as swim coaches of just having tunnel vision and having that boy or girl just do that sport 12 months a year. Well, swimming can be very boring. At the high school level, you've got a 25-yard pool, up and down and up and down. How many thousands, if not millions of laps you do by the time you're 15 years old, if that's all you do, yeah, you get bored. Yeah. If that's all you do is throw around a lacrosse ball. If that's all you do is shoot baskets. You may have a hero. You may have an idol that you sit out there and watch. And, oh, I want to be like him. Well, 
how many, what are the percentages of New Hartford athletes that go on to play Division Three and or Division One sports? It is less than 5%. Yep. Less very, than 5%. Yeah, very. So if you have no skills in another sport, and then you get, you don't have any offers, you don't get recruited, you don't get this, you don't get that. Then you go to college and say, what am I going to do now? Now you're lost. Yeah. Now you have no avenue. You may have been an athlete for a few years in high school. <clears throat> I think it's criminal to think in our community and any other community in this country that you're going to get the Division One scholarship. Oh, that, that's, that's absolutely criminal. And I've had my fair share of polite conversations with a mom or dad at the end of their track career, swim career, say, okay, uh, where's, where's the or scholarship? And I would usually tell them, well, you better thank God your son or daughter is a pretty good student. <laughs> and that will be their ticket to college and maybe be able to make a Division three team. And in today's world, Division three football, Division three basketball, Division three swimming, Division three track and field, you name the sport, I would dare say it is as good at the Division three level as a lower level Division one program 25 years ago. Well, Mr. Wells, I, I will I will go f as far with you and say this because I got to coach at Utica University now, Utica University for a year. And there were several players uh, on that team that would have started for us at Holy Cross when I was there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I, would, I was shocked. <coughs> I was shocked at the yeah. talent because, you know, I – you're Division One. You think Division Three is, you know, the worst of the worst, and it's not. It's not even close. I mean, it's it's this much. It's 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 so close. It's so yeah. close. So yeah. that's interesting to hear you say because I definitely agree with you there. Um, and before we go, just tell me a little bit about your kids. How are they doing? What are they doing? How are the grandkids doing? Talk to me about your son and daughter. And uh, I always, I always liked uh, uh, Stacy's uh, husband, Chris. Chris. He's yeah. always nice to. He was, he was always nice to me. He's a, uh, very nice guy. He's. Um, I like him. He's from the day I met him. From the day I very met sweet. him. Very sweet. Very sweet. Running a very good business in Rochester. Um, he is totally involved as much as Stacy is with the two girls and their away from school activities, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Chris is a basketball guy, played on a great high school basketball team in high school at McQuaid in Rochester. Oh, one of the best. Uh, one of the best. Yeah. Um, the menu for the girls is on a given day, given weekend, uh, golf, squash, lacrosse, basketball, Tennis. They do it all. And one Sunday afternoon in the middle of February, Coach Wells, as a grandparent, is watching two little girls in a downhill ski race. Oh, my Lord. It was a nice day, thank <laughs> God. Uh, the two girls are charming. They're nine and seven years old. Uh, obviously, I love them to death. 
Yeah, and uh, and they have good genes, so they should yes, be good yes, athletes. They do. So the question is going to be, you know, which way to go? Your earlier question about where they're going to gravitate to. I have no idea. I I do know that the social aspect, relationship with coaches, relationship with some of their girlfriends on those teams, they're probably going to play a little bit of a part in it. Yeah. But as Stacy and I and Chris have talked many times, you just can't go and jam something down our throat. And think, well, you're going to like it. You know, no, that, that's not the way it works. At some point in time, who knows what the magic age is, 14, <laughs> 15, whatever. They'll figure things out as to what they want to do. Right. And over my dead body, will it be, well, because we think we're going to get a scholarship. Uh, that's that's the worst thing in the you, world. You, you can't. Jim's situation, uh, the oldest is 20 years old now. She just finished her second year at Elon University in North Carolina as a Division One athlete in softball. And that is very competitive. I have seen maybe 15 games either in North Carolina or they played in, in Long Island this past year. Very, very, very good academic school. Very good academic south. school. And Miss Caitlin uh, has got a 3.95 uh, majoring in some sort of business culture. Um, Jim being in the business will probably help her along in that regard. Uh, the middle one who will be a, a senior in high school. He probably is a good swimmer and track athlete. He will have to make those decisions at the end of this coming year. And the young one <clears throat> is nuts. He's 11 years old. <laughs> he is a lacrosse goalie. Yeah. Anybody that's a goalie in any team has got to have a screw loose. Yes. And he does. at you. Um, I love that kid to death. He's he's a little eccentric, uh, but um, wow. So Jim and his wife Hope uh, actually now, are they out west? No, they're in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, I, they met out at USC. They were both swimmers, and right. I'm going to say this correctly. Jim and Hope were both very, very, very good swimmers at USC. And the battle rages on who was the better one in college, and we'll leave that for for another time. <laughs> uh, but uh, a great family, knock on wood. You know, Jim married the right girl. Um, whenever I get down there to Atlanta, I'm very jealous of the things that they do and have available to them. And you know, they are two loving parents, just as Chris and Stacy are. And boy, I couldn't be any prouder. I'm doing that. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. Two tough questions. The first question. Who's the best athlete ever coached? No. <laughs> we can do that one. Uh, we can do that one first. The best swimmer and the best track, we'll say, sprinter. You know, the <clears throat> just uh, right. for the for the four by one or the one hundred. Uh, well, the best swimmer. Uh, the best swimmer. Listen, Jim went the farthest. He ended up. Um, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of trophies at home from the NCAA swim meet, uh, gym Olympic swim, trials, Olympic yeah. trials, and my prized possession tucked away in my archives at home is Jim being on the two things. He was on the World University Games in nineteen around nineteen ninety ninety one, and he was also in the Pan American Games in Havana, Cuba, and I've got a picture at home with one of his teammates accepting a medal from Fidel Castro. And Jim was right there, standing right behind his teammate. And that those things are precious. I could not go to the Havana, Cuba, because at that time, 
Uh, I could have gone, but they were never got home, the, the visas and everything. And yeah. Cuba was a tough place to live at the time. So <laughs> Jim went farther, but Stacy in her own right, a great career here at New Hartford. Well, Division One Syracuse, Syracuse scholarship. All that kind yeah. of stuff, yeah. And I have to throw in my good friend Madeline Gaines. I mean, Maddie, Madeline was awesome. Madeline yeah. was awesome, state champion Louisville. for two years, Louisville. Or as she would say, Louisville. 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 Yeah. All right, on the track side. Wow. Sprinter, Brad Davis, without question. Brad Davis, Purdue. Brad Davis, Purdue. Uh, I've talked to Brad several times about his track career and his football career at Purdue. And um, his son's doing very well. Yes, and I, I, I said to Brad um, that there have been some occasions in the last two or three years where Brad and I and several of the New Hartford guys would get together on Coach Edick's front lawn. And one of the guys says, well, how good was Brad? I said, well, let me tell you something. Brad's senior year, we get around and run the Eddie games down in Schenectady, and Brad's in the finals of the 100 meters. Was that the one at Union? <coughs> at Union College. Yeah, I used to get hot dogs from the frat house. Get, that's where we hung out. I like that. And Brad is winning the race at the 50 mark. That is testament to his fast start, his fast twitch muscles. Right. And he got put away in the second half of the race. And he didn't finish last, but he didn't win. So Brad, Brad was there. And Brad first started with me as an eighth grader doing the pole vault. I believe he did something like 12-6 as an 8th grader. So Brad is among the many great, great athletes that I had in New Hartford. Uh, I'll mention Jim DiStefano came within a whisker of winning two titles in shot put and discus. I have to include John Soggs, who finished third his senior year in the 800 meters at the state meet. He ended up running at Clemson. He, he was just outstanding. And the last one I got to put in there is Neil Warren, who stood five foot eight, and he high jumped six feet nine. Oh my God! Wow. That that to this day is the most remarkable thing. How he ever did that, I don't know. But Neil was Neil, and all that. And I know I'm leaving some great athletes out. Um, no, I put you on the spot. I just I wanted <laughs> to get a few of them. But we're not mentioning Steve Cully yet. But Steve, third, Steve, was, Steve, Steve was only with me for two years, two seasons, so we'll leave it at that. Um, and then the last question, favorite sport to coach? Was it was it swimming or was it track? Wow. You know, that debate rages in New Hartford or did, <clears throat> and that was always a topic for one of the classrooms, one of the, I can't remember the, the name of the class they had, and usually it'd end up a war in class between the girls swimmers in class versus the boys track athletes in class. Soon as we shut this, uh, this stuff off, I will tell you what my favorite is. I will not announce in public which, whichever was the best. They're both equally rewarding, and it's going to sound sexist, but I'm going to say it. Coaching the girls was a whole new ball game. They're a lot closer, a lot more expressive in everything they did. Yes. They're, the bond they have. A bond. The connection uh, the they boys, have. Yeah. The boys, coaching the boys track team was a whole new ball game. Because, you know, it's like a 10-ring circus out there with everything you do. There's so much going on. And yeah. Everything is going on. And there's no way can you keep absolute track of everything that's going on in a track meet. Be it a dual meet versus Whitesboro 
or a sectional track meet or a state meet, which I'm still in charge of all that. It, 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 different rewards for, for all the, this was be second cousin to ask, which is your favorite children? I mean, that's just, you know. Okay, not, then not, I'll, <laughs> I'll phrase it this way. Which one do you think you were a better coach at? If you had to say, were you a, were you a better swimming coach or were you a better track I, I would coach? say I was a better swimming coach. Why? Because technically you got to learn a lot of things yeah. that are hidden. Um, everything is done to significance underwater. Yeah, it's tough to and evaluate. It, it, it's swimming coaching is like this. It's like changing somebody's stride as they walk, changing somebody's running stride as they run to try to change that. When you start swimming at whatever, 8, 9, 10, 12 years old, immediately you have a unique stroke to yourself. And then you throw in breaststroke, butterfly, and, and backstroke. Everybody has their own unique way of doing it. And here are you as the coach trying to make it better, more efficient. Number one, to swim faster. And number two, to not hurt yourself. Because swimming is loaded with shoulder injuries if you don't do it yeah. the right way. Yeah. So it, it is more difficult because when I first started in 86, I knew nothing technically about the sport. But shortly thereafter comes video cameras, you know, cell phones, iPads, and all that type of thing, where you can show a young swimmer, hey, this is what they look like in the water, okay? Track, you're taking kids who are, for the most part, early teenagers and now being introduced to the sport. Around central New York, you don't have track clubs that start at seven, eight, nine years old. Correct. So you're taking kids that have already have some gift. And to your question here, how, how do you find right kid to put in the right spot? Well, Matt Trohaw comes out and he stands six foot four. I, I'm not going to make him a pole vaulter. That just probably isn't going to work. He probably isn't going to be gifted enough to run a sprint. So you're trying to take all these boys and now girls who come to you with open eyes about what, what can they do, what do they want to do, and you're trying to fit them in and, and in a short period of time. Um, and usually I would get them ninth grade, 10th grade, yeah. right in that short period of time to make a successful athlete out of them. It, it's a, a lot shorter training period to speak. And I'll go to your case here. You never showed up on my track team until your junior year in high school. And by that time, you're 17 years old. You've already made your decisions. You're already, your body type is who you are. Swimming's a little different ball game because typically in central New York, kids start swimming competitively at 8, 9, 10 years old. And um, then what do you do, as in my own daughter's case, I had her for seven years. How do we, quote, reinvent the wheel and make her better along with his teammates, but her teammates better. How do you do that over a two-year period, a three-year period, a four-year period? It's very difficult. Because yeah. once you become a teenager, you think, oh, I know everything I need to know about this story. Well, wrong. That That's not the way it works. So anyway, um, I would have to pat myself on the back to saying it's more challenging to be a swim coach. Yeah. yeah. Number one, the boredom. 25-yard pool. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, change. Yeah, that's <clears throat> it. So it's just, it's just you in the yeah. water. 
Um, and as far as involved today, are you do you do you work with do you work with kids? Do you coach kids? Do you train kids? I know you're on the board. What's your involvement still today? Uh, here we are in June of 2023. I am still the state track chair for boys track. I am still the section three chair. So that involves maybe two months in the spring of heavy duty, yeah, getting things done, sites and all that type of thing. I am still the girls section three chair. Uh, that involves another couple of months of some steady work in uh, September and October, well into November too. Uh, just enough to keep my fingers in the pie. And I'm also a swimming official throughout the winter and fall, which means I go to Colgate or Hamilton, Lemoyne, those type of places. And then you got your, um, obviously your grandkids who you're yes. involved in watching their it events as well. It gives me a lot of time to do whatever. Yes, that, that's been a pleasure. Um, and then there's my golf game, which I have a whole new well, life up at legend, Cedar Lake legend with my friends. It's Cedar Lake. Yeah. Um, so... This was great. This was great. Getting Mr. Wells on the podcast, the most winningest coach in New Hartford history, all time, combined, most titles, most wins, longest tenure, legend. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. And I have a saying as we sign off, remember, when life gives you lemons, don't make lemonade. Take two oranges and throw them back at life. (laughs) 